Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is located in Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement, blessing, and an inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us, or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Praise the Lord, everyone. We're excited today because we're going to have a special moment before the sermon, before the message. Um, I've asked a family to kind of share. We've been in this sermon series of miracles. Um, if you can go ahead and put the graphic up. We're in Psalm 77, 14. Go ahead and go to the Psalm 77, 14. The Word of God says, you are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. We're going to read this all together, okay? Last week we struggled a little bit. I think we got, we got a little bit better over the week. So let's try this again. One, two, three. You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. That is the God we serve. He is a God of power, a God of miracles. Amen? Can someone give a loud amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask Brother Jesus and Sister Cynthia, Brother Chewy, Sister Cynthia, to come join me up on the platform. And let's give them, because they might be a little bit nervous. Come on, let's, a bigger clap. At least clap because you're not the one coming up, all right? Amen. You may be seated, church. Amen. I know, I think the people on that side might not be able to see you guys. No, <laughs> all right, because we're, we're going to run out of time if we're still rearranging, okay? And I think they'll have microphones. You guys will be able to hear them, all right? Praise the Lord, everyone. So, um, Sister Cynthia, Brother Chewy, um, I, these are my friends from a long time. We grew up together. Me and Brother Chewy grew up together. Um, some of you already know that, but what you might not know about Brother Chewy and Sister Cynthia is that a few years ago, they went through a very difficult time in their lives, and um, we asked them today to share their story, um, exactly what happened in their lives, and some of you may not know that um, uh, Brother Jacob, can you stand up, Brother Jacob, so just in case no one knows you, let's give Brother Jacob a big hand. All right. You can be seated. What some of you may not know is that Brother Jacob went through a really difficult medical situation a few years back. And um, so I'm going to let you guys share whichever wants to start. Um, kind of walk us through what happened um, leading up to um, him getting diagnosed. Um, and you kind of give us what the diagnosis was. And whoever wants to take the... <laughs> okay. So um, I can still remember it like if it was yesterday. This was back in January 2010. Um, 
it was a Friday night. We had just started, you know, Bible studies at home and Jacob's saying, you know, my back is hurting. Um, it's hurting and we're just thinking, oh, you just, you know, don't want to sit down through the Bible study. So he's, he, at this point, he's four years old. He just turned four in November and we're in January now. And I'm telling him, okay, that's fine. Just go to your room, go lay down. Middle of the night, you know, he's uh, complaining of really bad back pain again. We rush him to the ER. Um, forward to the following, he was okay. Um, we get there and, you know, we were like, oh, we're praying, praying, God, please let, let there be nothing. But when we get there, yeah, he was, there was nothing going on with him. They said it's something muscular. He's smiling and we're like, we're praying for nothing and it's nothing. And we're like, okay, just go back home. Um, later on during the following week on Monday, um, he started to have leg pain. Um, it started on his right knee and then it followed over to the left knee and he wasn't able to walk and no Tylenol, Motrin, and he likes to eat and ice cream really didn't help either. So <laughs> we were like, okay, something's wrong. Um, we had pastor, um, our previous pastor pray for him. He slept for only one hour that, and uh, um, we're like, okay, let's just wait. This is actually a Tuesday night, I'm sorry. A Tuesday night, let's just wait till um, the next day because ER said there's nothing wrong with him. So let's wait to the, um, we take him to the ER. It was the longest night because he stopped walking. He needed to go to the restroom. Um, no medicine would help. Um, we couldn't do anything. Sorry. Uh, come Wednesday, he's Wednesday morning. I can't get an appointment for him, and um, I'm trying to get him in. And then we finally get him in the afternoon, and the doctor comes in, and he gets some blood work through his finger. And he's like, well, he says, he doesn't look like he, Jacob. We know Jacob, but something's not right. Um, his labs, came, they kept coming back saying, oh, the blood just clotted, it just clotted. They did that about five, four, three times with the medical assistant and the doctor came and did it two more times. And then we waited for about two hours before they actually came back and said, you know what, he has to go, um, we're looking at cancer, at leukemia. We, he has to go next, tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning, fasting and get a bone marrow biopsy. Um, and this was Thursday morning, and then Friday afternoon, we got the diagnosis. Um, so, and then from there, everything just kind of went pretty quick. So he was diagnosed with leukemia. How old was he? This is 2010, you said? Yes, he had just turned four in November. Four years old. So let me ask you, uh, Brother Chewy, how, how did, when the doctor came in and told you it's leukemia, like, what went through your heart, what went through your mind, and just kind of walk us through the process of you kind of processing through that and, and how the following weeks kind of, you know, laid out for you. That day I was a crier. <laughs> As, you know, when they told me I broke down, I couldn't believe it. Um, she was a strong one <laughs> for that time. Um, and then after that, it was just, what do we got to do to get them better? Um, we had started a, a book, um, I remember that, um, Pure Praise, and um, during that time it was just during, we had just started that book as a worship team, and I think that's what helped us because, you know, it was saying that in, through the good and through the bad we still had to worship God, and that's kind of what grounded us, and that's kind of what helped us. And you, Sister Cynthia, how did you feel when that diagnosis got thrown your way? You weren't a nurse at the time. I was, you know? I was, I was not. Um, 
like I said, Wednesday, they told us we were being referred out Wednesday. I said, no, I, I, it, he's fine. I said, gather yourself up, okay? We, we don't have the, the, the biopsy, the diagnosis to confirm it. Please, you know, he needs, to, he needs us to be strong. He can't see us like this. Um, we went on Thursday and he got the bone marrow. Doctor didn't even wait for labs. He just said he, he's the next one up for the bone, bone marrow biopsy. Because his color was just And he wasn't, he wasn't a stroller. And he's always been a big kid, so I mean, he was a big kid in a stroller. Um, and it was, well, I remember telling Chewy after they did the bone marrow, I said, I said, I don't want to be part of this family. I don't want to be part of the cancer family because I saw all the kids there, you know, and their hair was gone. And I just told him, I just don't, I do not want to be part of it. Please, God, don't, I don't want to be part of it. So on that Friday, um, I do remember because he had a basketball game on Saturday. And we were like, can he make it? He was like, Who, he's, if he's not in pain, he can play. Um, they, weren't, they wanted us to go to the hospital right away, but they didn't have any beds. So we prayed and we're like, you know what, at least let him go to Sunday um, so they can pray for him before you know, he starts that treatment. And he played basketball on, on Saturday. And then... Uh, we didn't get the call till after church. <laughs> that his bed was ready. So, so now now that you bring up church, what um, either one of you can answer this? What in your hearts and your minds as as you're going through this process, especially in the beginning when you um, start going through this, what role did the church and the people around you that loved you? What did they do? How did they handle this? And like, what kind of motivation or, or what did they do to kind of help you out with this? So we didn't know ourselves how to handle it. We didn't know how to speak about it. Like I said, I didn't want to be part of it, but the, you know, for you know, the Lord allowed it to happen. And um, we're human, and I there was I was questioning, and I was uh, Lord, why? But you know, like He said, we still said we're going to worship You through the good and the bad, and that's what I'm going to do. But that fear was there because your four-year-old is fighting for his life. So. Um, we just spoke to the church as much as we could and, and you know, whatever we could because we didn't want to break down, you know, because sometimes we feel like if we break down or we cry or we're vulnerable that we're doubting the Lord and we're not doubting the Lord. You know, I learned that through the process, you know, the Lord, you know, gives us the strength through it and um, they prayed for us. We felt prayer. Um, they were there as much as they could, as much as we, you know, they, they were able to. I mean, if it wasn't for the prayers, I, I, I told my husband, I don't know how I could be able to just be, you know, me or just push through. It was three and a half years of chemo. So, um, and this is my baby, you know, fighting for his life. So it was pretty, pretty intense. If it wasn't for the church and prayer, I, God, I don't know where we'd be at. And, and I want to add on there, um, you know, I, I remember one of the prayers was from my sister that she didn't want him to have the uh, the effects, the side effects of the, the chemo. And we had two shaving parties because the first time he didn't shave his head, <laughs> you know, because when you get cancer, everybody wants to shave their heads. Um, until nine months in, that's when we had the second, uh, or six months later, that's when his hair started falling, not right away like normally it happened. And you're still having shaving parties? I, I have it every week. <laughs> week. <laughs> Amen. Um, when they initially give you the diagnosis, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what did the doctors tell you? Like, what was the prognosis? Uh, what was the outlook? 
what chances did they give you? So they told us um, if you wanted to have leukemia at his age, this is the leukemia he wanted. So, I mean, <laughs> leukemia, ALL, is the one he got diagnosed with. They said there's an 80% of uh, survival rate, but it really depends how his body takes it. They put us um, in a, a research where they gave, us the high, gave him the highest dose of chemo, um, and they just, it's really up in the air. It depends how the chemo actually reacts with your body and how his body's going to tolerate it. Because there were some weeks he couldn't get chemo because um, some of his... Um, his Defenses. His, yeah, his defenses and his immune system were too, his immune system was too low, um, so sometimes we just couldn't get chemo. And they came at us with the binder, a big binder. Like this is your life. This is your new life, and this, this is your, your Bible. New, your Bible, and this is, um, and they told me because I'm a person of control. I like to have some kind of sense of control. In this aspect, you have no control. God's the only one in control. Um, so the only thing they recommended me to do and I had, um, was to continue studying because I had just started school and they told me have a binder. I had dividers and I still have it with a diagnosis, the drawing the doctor did, the medicine, each medicine. That's the only thing I had control of over was the papers and everything he was you know, being given. Other than that, you have no control. You're just prayer and you just let God do what he has to do. Um, I have a couple more questions, and then we're going to kind of wrap it up here. But um, kind of walk me through when, so it was about a three-and-a-half-year process, you said, and yes, the chemo sir. and all that. Um, but Trey, maybe you can tell us about when you finally saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and you start seeing that things are, are, are that God is answering the prayers, and the day that you finally knew God answered the prayer, what did you guys feel and what did you guys do at that time? Well, when he started the chemo, he was on steroids, which that's what kind of attacks the, the leukemia. It was 28 days later that he was already in remission. Um, but the process was still three and a half years. We didn't see the end of the tunnel till. When he last took his last, you know, his last chemo, was like, okay, you know, this is real. His last, you know, we call it a cocktail. He had like 25 pills that he would take every day, twice a day. So, you know, when we start seeing that, it was like, you know, it's, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> For me, um, like he said, the 28 days was, and God allowed him to continue to stay in remission. He didn't relapse. Relapse means it coming back. Um, and I got to see him try to push himself through everything and, you know, try to have a normal life. So, you know, just by God giving him the strength and giving us the strength, but he, yeah. Yeah, let's give God a hand praise for that, amen. Um, what, what did you guys learn through this process and how did your faith grow? And we've been speaking on miracles. Can you guys say that you guys serve a God of miracles? I believe we do. Just like that song says, you know, I believe in him and I believe in him. And even when you doubt, through the, like I said, good and the bad, you know, it's just believe in him. You know, and just rely on him and just leave it in his hands and let him do what he has to do. So. Not, I mean, you know, every day is a miracle with him, really. I mean, because, you know, we've had scares, but. 
you know, through everything. I mean, the miracle's still there. I mean, he's still, he's still healed, so. Amen. Can we give God a hand, praise? Isn't God so good? Um, I think that what you said is very, for you guys, it's like a constant reminder every time you guys wake up. And whether you guys are loving on him or whether he's getting on your nerves, because, I mean, he's a kid. Right? What kid does not get on our nerves sometimes? It's a constant reminder of the miracle that God did in your lives. And, you know, it's one of those things where that's what we've been talking about, that we got to believe and we got to, and I'm going to speak a little bit on that later, a little bit later, but just how the faith grows. And I think it's awesome, amazing um, how you guys can still hold on to your faith, even though who scares. Which we just had a few, a few weeks ago. We had a scare where um, they found something on his knee. They found something on his knee, and we had to take him back to the doctor, and it was the same knee. So we go back to, to that, you know, and they told us that he was just going, we thought it was a sports injury. The doctor calls me on a Friday afternoon. He says, um, the x-ray revealed something abnormal in his knee. You have to take him um, to his oncologist, to his cancer doctor again. So we're, I'm like, I'm at work. He calls me at 3 in the afternoon. I'm like, what do I do? The cancer doctor just says, we'll see him next week. Um, and it was a really strong, you know, rough weekend because I couldn't, I didn't even want to tell him anything. I didn't tell him anything. And Google's not a friend. <laughs> and yes. And then, you know what? The bone, it said something was wrong. But then he got an MRI and that MRI said there's nothing structural. So, I mean, at that point when we found out, we called our pastors and we told them, you know, Please, you know, keep them in your prayers. We don't want to, you know, it's come back or anything. Um, you know, in prayer, there was nothing. When the bone, there was something in the bone and the MRI says there's nothing wrong. So that's always in the back of my mind. But then it's just a reminder, you know, that, you know, prayer works and believing in him. Just, you know, continue to always believe. Church, can we stand up? Let's give the Pequeño family a big hand for sharing their story with them, with us. And let it serve as a reminder of what God can do in our lives if we believe and hold on to that hope. Amen? One more big hand. Thank you. Amen, amen. We truly serve a God of miracles, church. We truly serve a God that hears our prayers. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask you as you're standing to open your Bibles to Mark. And I promise you I am going to not preach very long today. I'm going to preach even shorter than what I normally preach. No one believed that, okay. <laughs> Amen. Brother Angel, can you help me move these back a little bit? Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Do you have it? Amen. The Word of God says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat, to the other side of the lake, 
a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Goes on to say, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Let's pray. Father, we come before your presence. We thank you, God, because you are so good. We just heard of this wonderful testimony of how your love and your faithfulness to us endures even through the difficulty and through, the, and through those moments of doubt. But, Lord, we can be sure that we serve a God of miracles and a God that is always, always listening to our prayers. And today, God, we just ask you that you will fill our lives with belief, that you will fill our lives with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Can someone say amen? Amen. You may be seated for a moment here. I promise I, I am going to try to go as quickly as I can. Um, but I, I just want to tell you today, it all begins with belief. It all begins with you believing. Tell your neighbor, you have to believe. Two weeks ago, we, we were in the story of Lazarus. Jesus is speaking with Martha. And Jesus states, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, will live. And then he turns around and he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, do you believe this? Because when you and I are asking God for a miracle in our lives, when we are, are asking God to do something, there is a problem, there's an issue. A miracle is born out of a problem we may have. And, and when we come to God, God, I need you to do something. We have to approach God with belief and with faith that he can do it. When it comes to our faith journey, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, it really just comes down to a simple condition in your heart, and it's the condition of belief or unbelief. See, Jairus comes to Jesus. He's got an issue. He's got a problem. But the interesting thing is that when we read this, that Jairus, and, and, and pay attention because a lot of times when we read about people in the Bible that are receiving something from Jesus, they're not usually named. It was the woman at the well. It was the woman with an issue of blood. It was the blind man. It was the lame man. They don't use, we don't usually get a name with, this, with the person. But this time we do get a name. And, we, and not only do we get a name, he gets identified as to who he was. He was a synagogue leader. He was one of the religious leaders of the time. And this is scandalous. This is controversial because here is the religious, a religious leader of the time. The religious leaders, they were out to stop the message that Jesus had for the people at the time. They were plotting against Jesus. They were trying to figure out what is the best way for us to shut Jesus up, to shut down his ministry. 
But Jairus comes before Jesus. He, he, it came down, do I have belief or not? Because I have an issue at home. I have a problem at home where, I, believe me, he's a synagogue leader. The last thing he was going to do was go to Jesus. And I can only imagine what it was he had done. Maybe he already went to the hospital. Maybe he already went to the ER room. Maybe he had already talked to several people that had gone through these things. And maybe he had already gotten the note from the letter from the doctor, the, the, the prognosis from the doctor. There's nothing we can do. Go home, be with your daughter, and just get ready. But Jairus remembered through all the plotting against Jesus, Jesus does miracles. If someone can help me, if someone can possibly do something for my child, if someone can possibly do something for my issue, it's going to be Jesus. Jairus didn't care. People are going to see me. People are going to talk about me. People are going to tell on me, uh, the synag I'm going to get thrown out of the synagogue. No, Jairus had a need and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Please come, put your hand upon her and I know, and I know that she will live. It all begins with belief. Oftentimes, it's our need that will lead us to Jesus. Let's not sit in here all holier than thou and say that, that, that we are always constantly in prayer and reading our Bibles. The reality is that when you and I are going through an issue and a problem, that's when we seek Jesus the most. And when things are going well, that's the times where we fall into the temptation of, of backing off a little bit. Maybe I don't need to go to church today. Maybe, maybe I, I don't need to read my Bible. Maybe I, I don't need to pray as much. And we get busy with life because God begins to bless us. And it's not until there comes a time of real need in our lives that we, I need to get closer to God. And Jairus had this moment where I need an answer. Jairus was willing to sacrifice his societal position. It didn't matter who he was, where he sat in the synagogue. He needed his daughter to be healed. He needed his loved one to be touched by Jesus. But the question must still be asked to you. The question must still be asked to me. Do you believe Jesus can do this for you? My daughter's dying. Please, please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. Yes, Jesus is going to come to my house. My prayer is going to be answered. My daughter is going to be made well. I can only imagine the joy in Jairus' heart. Because I can't imagine. I know he knows that I'm one of the synagogue leaders. I know that he knows that I've been involved in the plotting against him. Maybe he won't want to come with me. Maybe he's too mad with me. Maybe he says, no, 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 no. Aren't you the one speaking, hating on me? getting on Instagram and on Facebook talking about me. 
But Jesus went with him. And as we keep reading in the text, we get to uh, verse 35. And before we read this, just leave it up. Before we read this, we kind of skipped a few verses, but it's important. I don't want to read through all the verses, but it's important that we know what happens. It says that when, that when Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed him. And as the crowd was moving along, this is where we find the woman with the issue of blood in her life. And she said, you know, there's Jesus. He's in the middle of the crowd. If only I could touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made well. And she approaches Jesus. I don't know how hard she had to work to, to, to get to where Jesus was, but she had to push through the crowd. She touches Jesus, the hem of his garment, and the Bible says that immediately the flow of blood was cut off and she was healed. And she knew within herself that she was healed. But this is the interesting part. Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. The Bible says that he knew immediately that something had just happened. Jairus says, come on, Jesus, follow me. Let's go, let's go. Then Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. No, Jesus, come on, let's go. Wait, wait. Somebody touched me. There's a large crowd around you. Of course somebody touched you. The disciples get a little annoyed. Jesus, come on. You know that the people are pressing on you. What do you mean that somebody touched you? And I can only imagine Jairus. No, I need you to come. Come, my daughter's over here. She needs you. You said you'd come. But Jesus stops. Who touched me? And the Bible goes on to say that the woman shows herself, I, I, I'm the one that touched you. I, I, I've been suffering with this. And Jesus speaks to the woman and tells her, you know what, your faith has made you whole. And I don't know, amen, I don't know how long this conversation took. I don't know if it took her, if she immediately identified herself. Or I don't know if Jesus stood there 15, 20 minutes till it got really awkward and finally she came out. But I do know it took some time. As Jairus was waiting, Jesus, come on, Jesus, I need you to come with me. Jesus is over here trying to find out who touched him. The disciples are annoyed. Come on, Jesus, look at everybody. This happens all, we can't go anywhere with you, Jesus. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. I mean, I put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I need you to come with me, Jesus, please. I'll go. Have you ever been going through life and all of a sudden you feel like there's been a pause put on your life. There's been an interruption to what you thought was supposed to be happening. And you turn around and you feel like Jesus is ignoring you. You feel like Jesus is not coming along with you. And then worse, verse 35. Worse, what happens? While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter 
is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? All of a sudden, the people from Jairus' house, they come looking for Jairus, carrying the bad news. Jairus is too late. It's too late. Your, your daughter's dead. Jairus, it's too late. Your, the hope that you had, give it up. Jairus, the dream that you had, the marriage that you thought was going to work, the child you believed God was going to give you, the miracle you've been asking for, it's over. Why? Why bother the teacher anymore? And I really believe that it's in the interruptions in our lives, the interruptions of our lives that we get the opportunity to show who we really are. And the question begins to really be asked of us as we heard in the testimony because doubts come into our lives and questions begin to be asked, do I truly believe what I say I believe? Will I really sit like Jairus and just wait on Jesus? I'm waiting, Jesus, I'm waiting on you, Jesus. I need you to come with me, Jesus. Or, or, or will I wait? Will I be patient? Will I persist? Will I seek? Will I walk with Jesus? Do I have a faith that will sustain me? Don't bother the teacher anymore. Because it's in these moments when we're waiting on God, when people come into our lives and say, hey, what are you doing? It's all lost. It's over. Why, why do you even bother anymore? Why do you even try anymore? Why do you even do these things anymore. But immediately Jesus overhears, verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Tell your neighbor, you have to believe. All right, I didn't even feel that. Tell your other neighbor, you have to believe. Come on, church. <laughs> Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He, did not, he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were there with him and went in where the child was. Immediately Jesus says, stop. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just 
believe. And I want to tell someone today that's here. Listen, church. Someone here today needs to hear this. Jesus is telling you, don't be afraid with what's going on in your life. Just believe. Keep going forward. I am with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be with you till the end of the world. Someone needs to hear today. Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is your hope. Just believe. I may not know your need, but Jesus knows what you need. Jesus knows what you need. It says that he didn't let anyone follow him. Jesus said, hey... Don't be afraid. Just believe. James, Peter, John, follow me. The rest of you guys stay here. I, I spoke a little bit about this last week. But I, I want to keep hammering down on this because it's so important. The people that you carry in your life are so important. They're either going to lift you up in your, in your time of need or they're going to drag you down. The Bible says that when Jesus got to the, where the little girl was, that there was wailing and there was crying. You need to stop surrounding yourself with people that are negative in your life and you need to start. Uh, you, they said, they laughed at him. Jesus said, she's only asleep. They laughed. But what did Jesus do? He kicked them out of the room. He said, get out. Some of us, we need to tell some people, you need to get out. Some of us, we need to tell some attitudes in our heart. You need to leave. Some of us, we need to speak directly to the enemy and say, in Jesus' name, devil, I rebuke you. I cast you out. You have no part in my home. You have no part in my life. I don't know. Are there two or three people today that can give God thanks because you serve a God that loves you. You serve a God that hears you. And you serve a God that will be there for you. He kicks him out. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, Jesus said, I only need my strong ones. Peter, James, John, come on, you're coming with me. All these other guys, they still need a little work. But I need you guys to come with me. Mom and dad, you need to come. I know you may be struggling, but you need to see something. There are going to be some people that lift you up and there's going to be some people that bring you down. Who is in your life? I just want you to know that he is the God of miracles. He is the God of impossible. That's why the psalmist said, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the, from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. Ch church, who are you looking to? Where are you looking? Are you lifting your eyes? Are you looking downwards? It's time for you and I to be a church that believes. It's time for you and I to be a church that has faith. It's time for you and I to be able to stand strong and say, mountain, in the name of Jesus, I command you to move aside because I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to survive this. Not only am I going to survive, I'm going to thrive. 
Verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Listen, church. I truly believe that God is speaking to us in this moment. He's speaking to you in this moment. He's telling you, get up. Get up. I don't know, sometimes you may read the Bible and you think that there's some unnecessary details. Like, why did we need to know that the girl was 12? I mean, it's even in parentheses. It's like an add-on. Like, why? 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 I just want you to know that some of you have been struggling with the same thing for five years, for three years, for, for 10 years, for 12 years, and you've gotten to the point where you don't believe this is going to happen anymore. You don't believe. But let me tell you what only, only thing that matters in your life is who the Bible says that Jesus went into the room. The only thing that matters is who is in the room with you today? Who is in the room with you today? Who is in the room? Is Jesus in the room of your life? Is Jesus, are you allowing Jesus to walk? It, the, Jesus is saying, get up, church. Get up, son. Get up, daughter. Get up from your apathy. Get up from your depression. Get up from your discouragement. Get up from your sickness. It's time for you to walk. It's time for you to be firm. It's time for you to look forward. It's time for you to live. It's time for you to dance. It's time for you to sing. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. Who is in the room of your life? Who is speaking into your heart? Come on, church, let's celebrate the God of miracles. At this, they were completely astonished. It's time for the world to be surprised. It's time for the